Our scripture reading tonight comes from Jeremiah 29. This is like really short for me. Um, And starting in verse 14, uh, follow along with me. Uh, Thus says says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. And may they bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon my name and come and pray with me, or pray, come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place where I, which I have sent you into exile. This is the word of the Lord. Go get them. Um, good evening, y'all. A couple things uh, before we get into the sermon. First, uh, every Tuesday, I mean, every Tuesday when we have a worship service, we're going to spend time in the scriptures, and it just, you know, occurs to me that sometimes it may be good to say these kinds of things. Um, we don't want you here to trust in some kind of cult of personality in me up front or another preacher or teacher up front or some slick rhetoric um, or, or some, you know, whatever. We're, we're going to open up the scriptures every time we gather together in a worship service and, um, and try to discover together who God is as he's revealed himself in and through the people of Israel uh, and most especially through Jesus, who is an Israelite himself uh, in the history of the world, and what he has to tell us about who he is, who God is, and who we are in him. And I hope that every time we open the scriptures, even though my guess is, as we read Jeremiah 29, some of you may know Jeremiah 29, 11, uh, tonight, but, but the rest of the context may be like, dude, what are you reading this for? This doesn't have anything to do with my life. Um, uh, actually, I think it has everything to do with your life um, because God made you um, and who he is and who he's made you to be uh, is somehow connected to his work in and through the people of Israel and quite frankly, in and through his work in all the people he's ever made and through the entire cosmos. Uh, and I hope to make that case to you on Tuesday nights. But we're gonna open the scriptures every Tuesday. You're not coming for a motivational speech or something like that. We're coming to find out who God is and who we are in him. Uh, as that's been manifested in Jesus Christ. The second thing is, I just felt as Caleb was sharing, I just, uh, maybe it's just reiterating something he said, um, but uh, as Caleb was sharing, it just occurred to me how often recently um, I, I've, I've met people, I'm trying to figure out how to t- put a common sort of word to all this. I guess I just wanna say, if the Lord is inviting you into something, say yes, please. I just keep meeting people who are waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. Uh, and, and I think actually what's kind of come out of the text tonight relates to that too. Um, but I don't know what the Lord's inviting you into, but say yes. All right, here we go. Uh, in the year 605, before the birth of our Lord, King Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian army ripped a number of Israelites out of their homeland. And on at least three separate occasions this happened, he would come through and he would skim off the top. 
taking the best and the brightest Israelites back to his capital city, Babylon. And this pattern only ended after he laid siege to the city for 18 months, a year and a half, and decimated it somewhere around the year 587 B.C. And the story of the destruction of Jerusalem is recounted a number of times in a variety of ways in the Hebrew Bible, or what we call the Old Testament. And one of the people who was exiled in 605 was a man named Daniel, known also by his Babylonian name, Belteshazzar. Daniel is uh, close to your age when we encounter him and meet him. He's a teenager, maybe 20 at most. And here he is in his youth, just getting started with his life, living in exile in a foreign world with a new name and new customs. His homeland and his hometown, the holy city of Jerusalem, was overthrown and it was in ruins. The temple was pillaged and the people of God scattered, placed as servants in foreign countries and given new names associated with false gods. God had been warning them about this, uh, but no one other than a few scattered prophets believed it would happen. We never believe these kinds of things are going to happen. God would never let his city fall, would he? It's God's city. Surely he wouldn't let his people get taken captive. They're his people. And he definitely won't let an enemy king into his temple, but he did. All those things happened. And Daniel saw everything that mattered in his world crumble. And I'm sure like most teenagers, he had plans and hopes for his life. Just like me, just like you. What am I going to do with my life? What should I do? What does God want of me or for me? You ask those questions just like I do. And Daniel must have in his own way as well, even as his world was falling apart. And as we look at what God said to Daniel in the midst of his circumstances, what I pray tonight is that we'll discover the will of God for our own lives in the midst of, of circumstances that are going on in our lives. For those of us who are living in places which are hard to call home, for those of us who are estranged or stranded in some particular way, for any of us who are looking around and feel like strangers and exiles because the world in some way, shape, or form doesn't look like it ought to look, we think. May we hear what the Lord has to say to Daniel and his friends and find timeless wisdom and hope for our lives tonight. Let's pray. Father, in your goodness and in your mercy, would you send your spirit that the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of each one of my friends in this room would be holy and pleasing to you. Help us to look out for the welfare of others in this world, trusting you in your wisdom and your plan. Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't know what a, uh, what a teenage Israelite boy would have been dreaming about back in Jerusalem. But I know that he must have felt the rug pulled out from under him when he was brought in chains back to Babylon before even turning 20. What was he supposed to do with his life then? What was his life's calling? Can you imagine as he's in a whole train full of exiles being drugged across the Fertile Crescent in the ancient Near East? As he's sitting there, what do you think I'm supposed to do with my life? You know, it's probably, he probably didn't ask it quite like that. Maybe he asked it with a bit more teeth in it. How in the world does this fit into what God has promised our people? What does this mean for me? What does this mean for God's love and care for me? Those kinds of questions. Daniel must have been asking something 
What were God's plans? What does God want for me? He was living in a place which wasn't his home. Did he, did he dream of marriage? Does that go away? Does romance and the desire for romance go away in the midst of suffering? What about of owning his own plot of land, of a good job? What were his plans? What were God's plans for his life? One of the reasons we're looking at Daniel is because we actually know what God told him. In Jeremiah, which, uh, we see this letter which was sent to Daniel and to his friends when they were in captivity in Babylon, and we actually read it tonight. Matt just read it a minute ago. We'll go through it again in a second. Um, I think Daniel must have felt like all of his hopes and dreams were lost, and he probably wondered where God was in the midst of terrible circumstances, but we'll, we'll read again that God did actually have plans for him, and he didn't have to guess what those were. So maybe some of you have read or heard or have, uh, you know, on a journal or a tattoo or, or a sticker or something, this very famous verse out of Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. It's a lovely line. This was a prophecy given to Jeremiah for Daniel and his friends in Babylon. And now given his circumstances, <clears throat> I know if I were Daniel, I would have a really hard time believing that. Like if somebody said, God said, I have these plans for you, not for evil, you know, but to give you a future and a hope as I'm sitting there with a, with a, with a name given to me by my oppressors in a foreign land, you know, being educated in their systems. What do you mean you have a plan to give me a future and a hope, God? This doesn't look like your plan. Sometimes life does not look like we thought it would look. Sometimes, maybe even often, we aren't sure how what we experience fits in with what we know about God or what people who stand on stages like I am tonight tell us about God. But this is the backdrop of the book of Daniel. What is Daniel supposed to do when his world is spinning out of control and he's somewhere he never planned to be? What would God have us do when the world seems like it's spinning out of control and when we are somewhere we never planned to be? First things first, in the opening lines of the book of Daniel, which we're not in Daniel tonight, but in the opening lines of the book of Daniel and in the opening lines of our scripture that we read tonight, I'm reminded that God's plans are not always our plans. If you got your phone out, if you got your Bible out, open up to Jeremiah 29. You see this at the beginning. Just, you can open up to Daniel, Daniel chapter 1, verse 2 if you want as well. That'll say something similar to this regard. But God says that he is responsible God is responsible for bringing his people into exile. That may not sound surprising for you, but let me just give you the alternative. Our text could have begun to all the exiles that Nebuchadnezzar has brought into exile from Jerusalem. To all the exiles that my en the enemy people brought into, into exile. To, to all the exiles, to my exiles, who the, the bad king stole or took or something. Instead, it says to all the exiles... Um, who, whom I have sent, God, whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem. God opens up this instruction by saying, even if everything seems out of your control, even if you thought I would never let my city fall, even if you thought I would never let my people get taken into exile, I am on the throne and I am up to things you wouldn't believe if I told you. Maybe one of the most important lessons that we can learn in life is that there is always so much more going on than we know. right now to your left and to your right in this room. Each person in here 
in some way, you, you, you all live this way. We all live this way. We live as if we are the center of the story. As if the camera, the third person close camera is over our shoulder. And if everybody else, as every, everybody else in this room is a side character, when I get off the stage and I walk out through some door, I'm gone on this evening and you still move forward in the story, you see? We all have hopes and pressures and worries and tragedies and joys that other people in this room have no idea about. And as God is marshalling his entire cosmos to its redemptive end, he has every single one of us in mind. There's always more going on than we know about. I don't know what God has in store for you in terms of a job, a spouse, retirement, or some kind of security or identity in the next 10 to 20 years. But I know if, if it's in his plan to let his holy city get conquered and his people scattered, then he may have things in mind for you and I that we just couldn't guess. And if you were to ask, you know, I think the oldest people in this room would be me and Josh and Kirsten. If you were to ask us, just even at our place in life, how many of the things that we experience, enjoy, understand, believe, how many of these things would we have imagined God would do? It's unfathomable to us, even just in a few years. I don't want us to guess tonight what God has in mind for Daniel, though, because I think this will help us understand some of the way that God works and some of the calling on our life. So I want to look at what he actually had in mind for Daniel because we don't have to wonder, okay? So Jeremiah 29, verse 4, this is what it says. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives. We're going verse by verse through the text on your screen now. Uh, this is what God says to all the captives. Again, he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have kids. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. So we'll stop for a second. Friends, this is Genesis language. This is Genesis language. This is the Garden of Eden language. Be fruitful and multiply. Gardens and romance. If nothing else, this says that your context doesn't mean that you cannot live out the calling that God has placed upon your life. More positively, you can follow Jesus right where you are. You don't need anything to change in order to be faithful to him. Let me say that again. You do not need anything to change in order for you to be faithful to him. So many of us, too much of the time, get caught up with the idea that our context needs to change in order for us really to follow God. Famously, the Apostle Paul in Philippians said, I've discovered the secret to being content in all circumstances. And if he said he's discovered the secret to being content in all circumstances, get this, you gotta pay close attention, that means that his contentment is not found in a circumstance. A change of circumstance, a new circumstance, a lack of a current circumstance. He's found a contentment that exists regardless of the circumstance. And he, he, he presses into that. He says, plenty or want. You know, rich or poor, thriving or deprived, he's found the secret. You have everything you need to be faithful to him today. But it gets more intense. Verse seven. And work for peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Remember who the city is. The city is Babylon, the capital city of the people who destroyed Daniel's hometown and took him into exile. 
Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. So not only should Daniel and his friends get rooted where they are, even in enemy territory, but they should even pray and work for the welfare of their captors. And I think of Jesus saying, pray for your enemies and bless those who persecute you. That's not something that we do very well. That's not something we even think we ought to do. Even, even those of us who summon love language often as it pertains to our faith, most of us do not sort of sit down to pray and go, I'm gonna pray right now for my enemies and bless those who persecute me. This is, verse eight, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they're telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. Now, I don't wanna get too into this. I just wanna say something brief right now, okay? There are people who are going to tell them things which are easier for them to hear. That's what's going on. There's gonna be people in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of this long period of time where they're in exile. God says to them, now listen, there's gonna be people who don't know me who didn't hear from me, who are gonna spin their words to, in the New Testament language, it's to tickle your ears. You know, they're gonna say things you want to hear, but that's not what I said. Watch out for them. It happens a ton today. It happens a ton today. Uh, we, we can't get into that. We're just gonna keep going, okay? But God says to them, watch out for people who don't say what I'm saying, okay? Um, verse 10, this is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. But then I'll come, and do for you all the good things I promise, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you, and I will bring you home again to your own land. So get this. This verse, I, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. This is not a verse that's written about you or your future spouse or you in a job. This is a verse that's about a group of people in captivity. And when God says, I know the plans for you for a future and a hope, he's referring to 70 years after the letter was sent. And do you know what that means? Okay, so if Daniel's like 20 years old when he goes into exile... And this letter, which we think was written about 10 years after the fact, when the last exile took place in about 587, 586 BC. So Daniel's probably closer to 30 at this point. When he gets a letter that says, in 70 years, I'm gonna come and, and bring you back, what does that mean? For, this cat's gonna be 100 years old if he's still alive. Before, before the, the, the fulfillment of, of the desires and the promises that God has in store for the plans that he has for his people, before that comes to fruition, Daniel's gonna be 100 dead. Which means the future and the hope that God is talking about, though it's for Daniel's people, Daniel probably won't live to see it. And here's how all this shakes down. And I, I think about this often. And actually, at this point, I've talked about this so much in my life, I probably need to get this tattoo, okay? But here we go. I, I would love to see somebody with a Jeremiah 29:11 tattoo who, when asked what that means to them, they say this. I know that, if, imagine if you saw, if you saw me at 29, like you said, what's that mean? What's that mean? I know the plans I have for you. Like, does that mean you just trust God to like give you what you need? Whatever. And what if I said this, okay? Like, I know that if I don't see another move of God for the next 70 years, God has given me more than enough to do exactly where I am. 
That's what Jeremiah 29, 11 means for me. It means I need to plant gardens and build houses and be a part of families growing and, and praying for people in this city and working for the welfare of this city, trusting that God has purposes that are bigger than anything that I can imagine and he's gonna bring them to pass and I have more than enough to do to be faithful to him today. That's what that verse means. You see, I'm quite sure that Daniel and his friends would have loved for God to tell them that they could go back to Jerusalem now, home, now, or to overthrow the Babylonians, I'm going to give you weapons or something, you know? I don't know, okay? But that's not what God said. Now, there are times, hear me, friends, there are times, some of you know this, and those of you who don't know, listen, listen. There are times this kind of teaching has been used by oppressors to tell people who are being oppressed to stay in line. And it is not 2,600 years ago. And it is not in the ancient Near East. I want no part of encouraging that or licensing that wickedness. To use the scriptures to tell somebody else that they need to stay in line and serve me. If you read the book of Daniel, which I commend to you, it gets freaking weird after like chapter seven, but that's when it gets fun. Uh, and I'd love to talk to you about it anytime. Um, we can read that in uh, Thursday morning stuff if you guys want. Okay. Um, uh, you're going to see if you read Daniel that Daniel and his friends live out various forms of faithful resistance to Babylon, even in the midst of that culture, okay? The kingdom of the world is at odds with the kingdom of heaven. Let me be clear. The kingdom of the world is at odds with the kingdom of heaven. America is not Zion. Capitalism is not the economy of the kingdom of God. We are called to be in the world, not of the world. John 17, if you need a reference. So though we see various forms of resistance and where, God, where serving God is at odds with the culture, Daniel serves God. Read it in Daniel. We still see that Daniel believes that God doesn't just, just want to free him and his people from captivity, which he does because he promises to do it in 70 years. God wants to convert and to win the heart of even his captors. God wants to convert and win the heart of even his captors, even the king. God had in mind not just the Israelites, because there's always something more going on, he had in mind every single person he's made, and I have no doubt that he brought people to himself in Babylon because of the faithful presence of the Israelites who were there by force. This is no license for the evils of Babylon. And if this, if this feels like it's mapping on to a, our own historical experience, you're right. It's a testament to the fact that even exile and captivity could not rob people of God from the dignity of their calling and from their ability to participate in God's work in the world. So too in your life, the sufferings and trials that you're going through, the ways in which you have, um, you're not home, or the ways in which you feel like you're in enemy territory, they do not keep you from the work of God in your life. God has things at work that Daniel never could have imagined, things that Daniel wouldn't have believed if he were told. For example, God used the exile of his Israelites, his people, their exile. He used it to fling his people all over the ancient Near East. 
not because he wants his people to be exiled from their homeland, but because God intends to bring all people to himself and to do it through them. So you see, when the apostle Paul, the greatest evangelist in history, he, he sort of dominates the pages of the New Testament, uh, over half the books of the New Testament are written by him. When he went through the ancient Mediterranean world spreading the good news of Jesus, do you know where he went first in every town he visited? Synagogues. He went to these little bastions of Jewish community who were guarding the oracles of God which wouldn't have existed except for the exile that happened 600 years prior. They wouldn't have built synagogues if the temple never got destroyed. They wouldn't have been peppered all over the ancient Near Eastern world if they were still in their homeland. Is it possible? Is, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a question. Is it possible that when Daniel and his friends were exiled, that God was thinking about populating the Mediterranean world with stories of his goodness and his work so that hundreds of years later, a way was paved for the good news of Jesus Christ to go out? It wouldn't surprise me, even if 20-year-old Daniel's like, what am I going to do for a job? Not to make light of that. God cares about that too. And, and, and actually his letter says, Daniel, here's what you should get busy with. But there's something else God's up to as well. And it's so much bigger than Daniel could have imagined. And if that's true with him, what is God up to in and through you that you might have no idea about? Daniel might have just been wanting a good job or a quiet life or to find a good girl to settle down with in the ancient Near East, okay? God was thinking about redeeming the cosmos and how Daniel could participate in that. Here's what this means, friends. It means you don't have to change your context in order to be faithful to what God has in store for you. It means wherever you are right now is precisely where the Lord is inviting you into intimacy with him and into partnership with his work. Let me say that again. Wherever you are right now, all of the circumstances of your context is exactly the place where God is inviting you into intimacy with him and into partnering with his work. What is God's will for your life? What is God's plan for you? If you're a Christian, it's offering your entire life in a sacrifice of love to God and to your fellow human beings. That's God's plan. It is like Daniel to see your life in the service of God's work to bring others to himself. What if we didn't believe that we needed another context to live our best life? What if we were faithful in this context? Like what if, for example, on this college campus, what if? What if Christian students were known to be people who looked out for the welfare of others on this campus? What if professors said, my Christian students are the easiest ones to teach because of the ways they learn and study? What if other students said, I want Christian students as roommates and in my group projects because of how much they look out for my welfare through their respect and work ethic? What if our political leaders said, Christians are the most faithful citizens working for the welfare of all people in our nation. I want them in the middle of our cities. What if kids said, I want Christian parents who look out for my welfare? What if, what if people, what if servers at restaurants said, I wish Christians were my clients because they leave great tips looking out for my welfare? Instead of acting like when their sandwich is cold, the universe might fall apart. If you don't know that, it's, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's a very shameful thing, actually, in our culture. It's been going around for like at least 20 years that I know about that servers hate working on Sunday afternoons because Christians don't tip well. How in the heck are we? What in the heck, y'all? 
Don't go out to eat if you're not going to look out for the welfare of your server. It's not what this is about. Well, it is what it's about, but anyway. <laughs> not, listen, all of this is not, we're, we're ending here, okay, but this command is not to assimilate with the ways of the world, but to, not, not to just bloom where you're planted and never leave Chattanooga or something. Or don't ever change, whatever, okay? But, but to love the world as God so loved the world. To give ourselves away for the sake of love, trusting that God is up to bigger things than I can ever dare to dream. And in the meantime, he's simply calling me to live like him right where I am. Caleb, where are you? What's the verse you quoted? Uh, first Peter. 4.8? Yeah. What does it say? Um, above all else, love each other deeply. Yeah, above all else. Love each other deeply. Sometimes, friends, and I, I realize that this can sound pretty basic, but this, this hits home with me, okay? There's all these times I go, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And just sometimes I want us to stop and go, have I, have I already actually just done this, this well enough yet that I really need to move on to advanced level classes? Like, have I already loved people pretty deeply? Have I been looking out for the welfare of everybody around me so much I can go, okay, God, I'm done, ready for the next thing? As if he hasn't already given us things to do. He's called me to follow him right where I am. I don't need to change my context to love everybody around me. I'm sure for many of us, there are aspects of our lives that we'd love to see changed. Pray to God that they would, friends. Literally, Jesus invites you to bring your desires before the Father and ask him to, to move heaven and earth for you. Do it. If you want to see your context change, pray that God would change them and work in wisdom toward that end. Fine. But in the meantime, in the meantime, God has equipped you with everything you need to be faithful to him today, even if you feel like you're far from home. So here's what I want to do. I want to take a minute to silently just reflect. We do this every Tuesday after sermons. Just we have so little silence in our life right now. And it can often be pretty awkward. And if you don't know what to do, it's okay. That's part of the work. It's, it's just the practice of going through it and getting used to it, okay? But let's just take a minute to silently reflect, to reflect and pray. And I want you to ask the Lord if, or if you don't follow God or, or believe in Jesus, then just think about this for a minute. Is there some context that we wish would keep changing in our lives when it might be exactly the place where God has called us to live and to love? Let's take a minute to think about this. There's some context that we keep thinking needs to change. And maybe is there a way that God is inviting us right there to live and to love? Just spend a minute thinking about that and I'll pray. Friends, if you want to pray with somebody uh, personally, there's some folks back here who'd love to pray with you. Um, if you want to talk about that, anybody on our staff would love to walk with you and talk with you about these things and take you out to lunch or something. Uh, let me pray for us now and we'll respond to God and, and sing into him together. Father, um, we need to know that you're on the throne. We need to know that we are not forgotten by you in our various contexts. We need to know that you're coming for us and that you've given us stuff to do now and would you, um, would you invite us, right, just tonight by your, the power of your spirit, would you invite us into saying yes to you in the ways in which you've um, called us to look out for the welfare of people around us 
and the ways in which you've called us to live and to love. Right where we are. I pray out of love for my friends in this room, if there are circumstances which are really hard for them, that you would bring about change in those circumstances and that you would satisfy the desires of their heart. But, but Lord, forbid that, that those changes and the delay until those changes would happen would keep them from participating in the work that you have for them right now. The world is in dying in need of knowing that you actually love us. You've called us to be heralds of that news. Teach us, Lord, to look out for those around us, trusting you that you're up to things and you'll take care of us. And so free us to care for others around us in our midst. Lord, receive our, our praise to you now in joy and send us out of here renewed with a sense of mission to look out for folks around us and and to love like you've called your people to love throughout the ages. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.